We have been studying together for the last few months the Gospel of Luke, and today is our third last study in the series on the parables of Jesus. So Jesus is drawing closer to Jerusalem, where he soon will be crucified, and his teaching ministry is coming to an end, and in preparation for his departure, he is teaching his disciples and even the Pharisees many important truths they need to know. And last week we studied the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge and the lesson we all needed to hear about persistent prayer and con consistent prayer. Uh, this week, again in chapter 18, Jesus teaches about prayer through another parable of the Pharisees and the tax collector. But in context to these parables, and remember he is preparing to depart, he is preparing to leave the disciples on their own, he is teaching these disciples about the coming of the kingdom. Um, and in these two parables in chapter 18, one from last week and the one today, Jesus begins to show the disciples what kingdom life looks like. Um, and this is a very important parable even this morning, as he teaches his disciples how to how to enter into the, the kingdom of God, how anybody enters into the kingdom of God. So let's read together in Luke chapter 18. We're reading from verse 9 to verse 14 this morning. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, let's pray together before we study God's word. Lord, we do thank you for all that you have been teaching us. We are humbled, Lord, by the life that you lived, perfect life, and of course by the, the perfect death that came to follow. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to take the truths that you have been teaching in these parables and help us to apply them. As Robert prayed, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers, that the Word of God would not just go in one ear and out the other ear, but that we would be the doers. We would allow the Word of God to change us and to conform us more into the image of your dear Son. And this morning, as we learn more about the kingdom, we pray, Lord, that we would love the kingdom more and that we look forward to the kingdom and we'll pray more for the king, your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven and that we'll be excited about telling people how they can enter the kingdom of God by the truths that you, it will equip us with this morning. So please, Spirit, teach us and help us this morning to honor Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, suppose you were to die today. 
I know it's not a nice thought, but let's just say hypothetically. And you were to stand before God and He asked you, Why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? How would you answer this question? It's a very important question. Well, if you've done the study with us, what is the gospel, the little booklet, I hope you know how to answer that question. And that little book by Greg Gilbert has been a, a huge blessing to us, helping us to know the gospel and helping us to be equipped to be able to articulate and communicate the gospel with others. But this is what Greg Gilbert says. This is what he writes in his book on page 83. He says, he asks the question, when you stand before God at the judgment, I wonder what you plan to do or say in order to convince him to count you righteous and admit you to all the blessings of his kingdom. What good deed or godly attitude will you pull out of your pocket to impress him? Will you put out your Will you pull out your church attendance, your family life, your spotless thought life, the fact that you haven't done anything really heinous in your own eyes? I wonder what you'll hold up before him while saying, God, on account of this, justify me. Well, Jesus' parable this morning, the parable of the Pharisee and the, the tax collector, illustrates two different answers that people give towards this question if it was asked to them how do they know how god would let them into heaven what would they what would why god should let them into his heaven so look at verse 9 of luke chapter 18 so we see jesus is is talking to his disciples but he's also addressing some some pharisees around him some people who are who are self-righteous Look there in verse 9, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he may have been targeting the Pharisees, but I think there were many other people around Jesus at this time who were, who were acting like the Pharisees, who were, who were self-righteous, who who trusted in their righteousness as the basis of their standing before God. And the Jews, remember, they tended to think that because they were Abraham's descendants and that they were following the law of Moses, that gave them merit before God just because of their ethnicity, just because of their, their culture. And many, many of the the Jews used to look down upon the Gentiles and even refer to them as, as Gentile dogs. They thought that they were a, a notch above everybody else. And just because of their, their culture, they would be accepted into heaven because of their, their Jewish heritage and their, their moral lives. But Jesus really, he flips this attitude on its head with this parable. And he shows us this morning that the wrong way to approach God is by your own good works. And then, of course, the right way to approach God is as an unworthy sinner pleading for, for mercy. So my first point this morning, we see in verse 10, and that is two men. There are two men here that are contrasted that we get to um, examine this morning. We see in verse 10, it starts with, 
two men went up in the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the scene here is, is set for us in verse 10. There are two men going to the temple to pray. Both are doing the same thing. One is a regular churchgoer. In fact, he is a religious leader who, is, who has really devoted himself to, to the things of God. The other person is a dishonest, selfish, greedy tax collector who has no problems robbing people and ripping them off um, their money. And, of course, these are his fellow countrymen as well. So he, he, he was hated even by them. So two different types of people here that we see. And the first one is the Pharisee. Let's look first at the Pharisee. We see him in the first part of, of verse 10. Now, in Jesus' day, the, the temple consisted of the sanctuary as well as the outer courts, if you've ever seen a, seen a picture of that. And people went to the temple to offer sacrifices, to, to listen to teaching, and of course to, to fellowship and to pray. And so it was normal for a Pharisee to be going to the temple in order to pray. In fact, it was even expected of him. Um, it's not clear whether or not uh, he, he went there during the regular hours of the day. We don't know that from this parable. But it, it didn't matter. People expected to see a Pharisee at the temple praying because the Pharisees were, were considered to be the religious leaders. They were considered even to be pious people, uh, very religious that people could look to. And then the second person that we see in the second part of verse 10 is the tax collector. And what is fascinating here in Jesus' parable is that the other person at the temple um, is regarded as um, worse than, than a prostitute, a tax collector. Remember, the tax collectors were hired by the, the Roman government to, to collect taxes from the, the Jewish people. And these tax collectors were corrupt, and they really were considered amongst the, the lowest in society. And the Jews despised these, these tax collectors. So when when Jesus uses this tax collector to contrast to this very righteous and holy Pharisee, it, it is fascinating. And the people would have understood this as, as a very important lesson, the audience that Jesus was, was speaking to. Um, but yes, I think they could understand that a Pharisee would go to the temple to pray because he was a religious leader. But a tax collector, I think that might have been questionable to them. That wasn't very usual. That wasn't the type of person that really would go to even church. Why would an irreligious tax collector go to the temple to pray? I'm surely God had no regard for him. I'm sure that's what the people must have thought at the time. So we see here a very fascinating contrast with these, with these two people. But my second point here, we see from verse 11 to verse 13, is that there were two prayers that were prayed. Two prayers that were prayed. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So we see, let's first see the, the Pharisees' prayer there in verse 11 and verse 12. And I want to examine two aspects of his prayer. I want us to look at his, his posture, and then I want us to examine his petition. Okay, both with P so that we can remember his posture and his petition. Let's first look at his posture. We see there in verse 11, the first part of verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. So praying in a, in a standing position with, with hands lifted up to, to heaven was, was not really an unusual posture for prayer. Um, in the case of the, the Pharisee, we would even expect this of him. Uh, we are not told where in the temple complex the, the Pharisee stood. It's likely that he was standing as close as possible to the Holy of Holies where, where God's unique presence dwelt. But then look at his petition. Look at the Pharisee's petition in the second part of verse 11. The Pharisee seems to open his prayer by addressing God. But if we examine that a little closer... And even in the Greek, I was surprised to see this week that he really was talking to himself. In fact, the, the King James Version translates the, this portion a little bit differently to the ESV. The King James says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I think that better presents um, a fuller picture of what is happening here um, with this Pharisee. The Pharisee was outwardly addressing God, but really what was happening, he was talking out loud with himself, um, of course, so that other people could hear his, his eloquent prayer. And it's important to note that the Pharisee here does not confess any of his sins to God. Nowhere in this prayer does he, he ask God to forgive him for what he has done to, to violate God's holy law. And if he had any sense at all of, of God's presence in his life, he would have known that he was a sinner approaching a holy God close to the temple. But the Pharisee says in, in verse 11, the second part of verse 11, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he goes on to describe the, the kinds of other men he was not like. Look there, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and then he says, or well, even like this tax collector. So we see he's comparing here now. He's comparing himself with other people. But who are the people that he's comparing himself with? They, they are not godly people. They are not holy people. He doesn't compare himself even with God's perfect standard or the person of, of Jesus Christ. Instead, he is comparing himself with other people who are known to be sinners, who are known to be Gentile dogs, who are extortioners, who are adulterers, who are unjust. And then the Pharisee commends himself, commends his, his good works to God. Look at, the, uh, look at verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So actually here, the Pharisees' good works were, were so good 
that they were even better than God's law. Now, God's law in the Old Testament suggested fasting one day a year. And that was the, the Day of Atonement. We see that in Leviticus chapter 16. But this Pharisee, he knows better than even the Word of God. The Pharisee is, is t- fasting twice a week. Um, we don't know which days. Maybe a Monday and a Thursday. Who knows? But when it came even to tithing, we see there, he gave way more than even the law required. Uh, we see the law speaking about tithing in in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and what needed to be tithed on. But this Pharisee, again, he knew better than the law. He is fasting on everything. In effect, he is, this prayer that he's praying, he is saying, I thank you, God, that I am such a great guy. <laughs> thank you that I am so good. We can feel this pride that really is, is permeating here in his, in his prayer. And the Pharisee approaches God with, with really his own self-righteousness. Not at all humbling himself before a holy God. He approaches God with his own good works and his, his own good deeds. And he's trusting in his own good works. He believes that God will accept him because of, of what he has done, of what he has accomplished. And sadly, he looks down on, on others who were not as, as pious and as devoted as, as he was. And that is why Luke says in verse 9 that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves as they were, were righteous and treated others with contempt. There must have been many people like that around where, who Jesus was talking to. I remember sitting down with a, a lady in in Abu Dhabi here, while I've been ministering here, asking, and I asked her this, this question. Suppose you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, and He asked you why I should let you into my heaven, what would you say? What would you say? Well, this is how she answered the question. She said, well, I am a, a good person. Um, I, I've gone to church most of my life. Not perfect attendance, but, but better than most people. I've tried my best to keep God's Ten Commandments. And I'm not perfect, but I'm so much better than so many other people. How would you have answered that question if I was to ask that to you? Suppose you were to die today, and you were to stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my holy heaven? How would you answer that? Take a minute to think about that. How would you answer that question? Well, if your answers resemble anything like this lady's answers, then your answers are very similar to the Pharisees' answers, as we see in our passage. Of all the answers and answers like these, they are based on works righteousness. Like the Pharisee, this, this lady was presenting her own good deeds. Um, look what I have done. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. Look, um, look how faithful I have been. And then, on top of that, 
she was comparing herself to other people, not righteous people, but people that weren't as righteous as her, weren't as holy as her. And if we do this, it will never work. That kind of answer will never be accepted by God. So we've looked at the Pharisees' prayer here. There's more. There's the tax collector's prayer. Let's look at his prayer in verse 13. And again, we're going to look at the two aspects of his prayer, his, his posture and his petition. So let's look at verse 13a. It says there in the first part of the verse, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, so let's look at his posture here. The tax collector must have been somewhere in the temple, in the complex, probably within the, um, the sanctuary. But, but he, was, he wasn't standing close to the sanctuary. He was probably in the court. Um, he, he knew that God's special presence was, was in the temple. Um, and he wanted to connect with God. He wanted desperately to connect with God. But he was standing afar off. Um, and I think that's why. Because he knew that he couldn't approach the Lord directly. Um, but notice there, he didn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. We know that he was standing. There weren't chairs like in our churches. It was a court, okay? And um, you prayed standing up. But he wasn't standing with his eyes lifted up to heaven. He was standing afar off, and he was so ashamed that he, his eyes were, were cast down. And it tells us that, that, he, was, that he was beating his, his breasts. He, he was overwhelmed by the, the grief and the guilt of his sin. So his posture is completely different to that of the, the Pharisee. Um, let's look at his petition now. The second part of um, this prayer in verse 13 the tax collector prays in verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So just like the, the Pharisee, this tax collector also, he addresses God in this prayer. But he did not compare himself to anything or to anyone else. Instead, look what he's doing. He's, he's begging God for mercy. He knew that he was a sinner guilty of God's wrath. He knew that he was a sinner guilty of God's judgment. He knew that he stood condemned for all of his sins before the, the judgment seat of God. He, he did not ask for justice. He knew if he asked for justice, then he would be in hell. Instead, he begs God for mercy. Well, Charles Simeon, he was a an evangelical pastor and a theologian during the 19th century, he wrote in his expository outlines on the Bible a quote that I wanted to share with you this morning. He said, Never are you higher in God's esteem than when you are lowest in your own. And I think this best describes this tax collector. He is, he is as low as he can be. And he is approaching the Lord. He understands his condition before a holy God. He is not asking for justice. Because if he gets what he deserves, he knows the terrible, 
penalty that awaits him. And he is stricken with, with guilt. And he is low. He understands his sin. He understands his need for a savior. Now I've quoted the Puritan Thomas Watson before. And he said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Now, there is no hope for any person who does not see the ugliness of their sin. The tax collector saw the ugliness of his sin. He knew very well who he was. So this morning, let's make it personal. Do you, do you see the ugliness of your sin? Do you acknowledge yourself to be the sinner in the sight of, of a holy God? Do you see yourself justly deserving his, his judgment and his displeasure? And do you see yourself without hope except in his sovereign mercy? Have you cried out to the Lord for mercy? I want you to consider the, the posture, the when we talk about posture, I'm, I'm talking about the attitude. The attitude of this tax collector's heart as he, as he prays. I know there are some of our church people who feel that they, they can't join our prayer groups because they don't pray well and they don't speak um, well in, in public. But please notice here that our heart's attitude towards the Lord in prayer is more important then our words. Don't fall into the, the trap by thinking that, that you cannot join our prayer groups, that you cannot pray with others because you don't have the right words to pray. That's what Satan wants you to think. And that's what the Pharisees taught, in fact. And we must not at any point be tempted to think that we need to compare ourselves with other people. We need to humble ourselves and come with a, a heart's posture, a heart's attitude that is thankful and grateful for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The tax collector here in, in Jesus' parable was, was humble, and we see that very clearly. He doesn't pretend to be something or, or someone that he wasn't. He doesn't compare himself favorably to others. He doesn't compare himself to the religious Pharisees. He doesn't even compare himself to other tax collectors by, by saying, God, uh, I thank you that I am at least better than those tax collectors. He doesn't do any of that. Not at all. He singles himself out as the sinner. Because actually the, the Greek text reads, God, God be merciful to me, the sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. This, in fact, is the, is the one and only true sinner's prayer. The tax collector completely owns his sin. And the tax collector is overwhelmed by the, the sense of his own unworthiness, and rightly so. He asked God for mercy because mercy was the only thing that he dared to ask God for. Let me make this more personal. At the start of the message, I, I asked you to consider that question. Suppose you were to die today 
and you were to stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer that? I know I'm repeating myself, but this is a question that we all need to answer. How did you answer that question? I'll give you some time. Let me share with you the answer that Greg Gilbert gives in his book, What is the Gospel? This is his answer. He says, This will be their plea. O God, do not look for any righteousness in my own life. Look at your son. Count me righteous, not because of him. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death that I deserve. I have renounced all other trusts, and my plea is him alone. Justify me, O God, because of Jesus. What Gilbert means by justify is that the, the picture of a courtroom is, is set here. Um, just, justify is a legal term. And, and what he means is that God is the judge on his bench. And he has his hammer or his, his gavel in his hand. And he, he hits it on the table. And he declares not guilty. He declares not guilty. So God not only removes the guilt of our sins, but He also credits to our account the righteousness of Jesus. It's called double imputation. He takes away our sin and puts it on Himself, but then He gives us His righteousness. He becomes the, the substitute who suffers the, the penalty of God's wrath in our place. We cannot declare ourselves not guilty. We don't have the authority to do that. Which unfortunately the Pharisees were trying to do. They were declaring themselves justified by their actions, by their works. They thought they were justified. They thought that they were not guilty. But this tax collector walks into the temple as a guilty, despicable sinner. Remember, he's ripped off people for a living his whole life because of his own greed. And he walks out of the temple righteous before God. How is that possible? How is that possible? How can this be? Well, the answer is because he received not his own righteousness, but he received Christ's imputed righteousness or, or attributed righteousness righteousness and the only answer that that God accepts is from a person who recognizes that he is a sinner in need of God's mercy and when you stand before God after you die you beg God to be merciful to you you point them to Jesus you point God to Jesus not because of anything you've done, but because of what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus. Remember, God sent His Son, Jesus, into this world to pay the penalty of your sin. God didn't send Jesus into the world to pay for His own sin. If your faith is in what Christ has done, if you're trusting in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God will, will credit 
to your account Jesus' payment for your sins. If you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. That leads to my last point this morning. We see two results. We've seen two men in verse 10. We've seen two prayers in verse 11 to 13. And now in the last verse, we see two results. Two results. First, we see the tax collector. He is received and he is exalted by God. Look at the first part of verse 18. Jesus says, sorry, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. There's that word justified again that Greg Gilbert used. As I mentioned previously, the word for for justified is a a legal word. And it it means to be not guilty. But it's, it's a declaration that is made. And Jesus is pronouncing the tax collector not guilty by God. Why? Because God transferred the the penalty for his sin to the the sin bearer who is Jesus Christ. So Jesus paid the penalty for the, the tax collector's sin. And so God's justice now is is satisfied and, and he was able to extend mercy to the to the tax collector. So all of his sins were were blotted out. There's that wonderful verse in Psalm 103 that says the Lord will cast, will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Does it ever meet? No. As far as the east is from the west, they will never come together. Our sins will never be remembered anymore. Even Micah chapter 7 tells us that our sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. Because we have been made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Because we have been adopted into the families of God. Because our status has changed. We have been declared righteous. We are now God's children. We are no longer condemned in our sins. We are no longer considered enemies of God. We are considered His friend. We are considered His children. Our status has changed because He has declared us not guilty. If our faith is in what Christ has done, if we have put our trust in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. This Pharisee, notice in the second part of verse 14, we see secondly that this Pharisee is rejected and excluded by God. Um, So Jesus says the tax collector went home justified rather than the other. The Pharisee is the other here. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One commentator said, the Pharisee also goes home, but he has nothing. He might as well have stayed home that day and never gone to the temple. In fact, this might have been better for him. Jesus is teaching us all today, folks, that good works or works righteousness do not gain any single person acceptance with God or entry into his holy heaven. 
no matter how religious you are, no matter how long you've been going to church, no matter what family you've been born into, no matter what education that you have, no matter how much tithe you've given to the church, no matter even if you've been baptized, no matter if you've even taken communion, no matter even if you're part of a, of a, of a ministry of the church, no matter even if you're a pastor of a church, our works are as filthy rags towards the Lord. If we are trusting in our works to get us into heaven, if we are trusting in our works to be accepted by God. The only way a person gains acceptance with God is by God's mercy. By God's mercy. Acceptance with God is gained by acknowledging our sin and trusting in God's provision of payment for the sin in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Have you done this? Have you put your faith, not in your works, but in the work of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in the work that He has accomplished on the cross of Calvary? Let me conclude this morning with a story I found this week. Years ago, a man was about to make a purchase in a store when a detective laid his hand on the man's shoulder and said to him, you are under arrest, come with me. And, and a little bit shocked, the, the man said, well, what did I do? And the, de the detective calmly replied, you know what you did. You escaped from the penitentiary several years ago. You went west, you got married, and then you came back here to live. And we've been watching you ever since you've returned. And quietly the, the man admitted, That's true, but I was sure that you would never find me. Before you take me in, could we stop by my house so I can talk to my family? And the officer agreed. Well, when they got to his home, the man looked at his wife and asked, Haven't I been a, a kind husband and a good father? Haven't I worked hard to make a living for you? And his wife answered, Of course you have. But why are you asking me these questions, honey? Well, he then proceeded to explain what had happened and that he was now under arrest. So he apparently had hoped that his record as a, an exemplary husband and father would impress the officer. But the fact was, he was an escaped criminal. And the law demanded that he return to prison. Well, you may be a good person this morning. I'm not judging your, your character here. I'm pretty sure the people that I'm speaking to have probably never robbed a bank. Or probably never murdered somebody. Maybe you are even a faithful churchgoer. And maybe even a, a decent citizen of the community. But that doesn't matter. What matters is the condition of our hearts. The posture of our hearts. God knows our hearts. And the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked. Without the righteousness of Christ, we stand condemned. We stand without any hope 
in this world. All the good deeds that we have done in this lifetime cannot pay for the many times that we have broken God's holy law. And because God is just, the law demands that we be punished for our sins. He would be an unfaithful, unjust judge if he just let us go and swept our sins under the carpet. But he is not unjust. He is perfect in every way. And if we come as an unworthy sinner who has pleaded in mercy on the basis of Jesus Christ who has shed his blood to pay the penalty that, that we deserve, God will declare not guilty. God will declare not guilty and receive us into his kingdom. So this morning, as we end, answer that question that I've been asking you throughout. When you stand before God and he says to you, why should I let you in into my holy heaven? Where would your faith be? What would you say to God on that day when we have to give an account? Make sure first that you understand and then personally apply. And then please, please this morning, I'm begging you, share this truth with others. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, don't hide this good news away. Share it with others. We don't need to be condemned in our sins. We don't need to be punished for the sins that we deserve. If we put our faith in Jesus, there is hope. There is hope for us this morning at the foot of the cross. Have you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you on Calvary? Nothing less than your eternal destiny is at stake here. Please, I beg with you this morning, reach out to me, reach out to us. Reach out to somebody you trust in the church that can show you how you can know for sure that when you stand before the Holy God, He will allow you into His kingdom. Please pray with me this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, I do thank you for your grace. And thank you, Lord, that your grace is so much greater than my sin. And Lord, there is in so many ways that I can relate to this tax collector. And Lord, you know my heart, you know my sins. Father, you know my failures. But I thank you, Lord, that you have saved me and declared me righteous. And I can stand before you today with boldness, Lord. Because I am your son. I have been adopted into your family. And that's not my work, Lord, but the work of your son. And today we praise his holy name. And we are so grateful for his substitutionary atonement. We want to praise you today. Thank you for sending Jesus. And I want to pray and I want to plead with you today, Lord. If there are people out there that do not know you as their Lord and as their Savior, please, Lord, Give them eyes to see the truth. Give them ears to hear the truth. And give them faith to believe. Grant them repentance this morning, Lord. And please, may we be faithful in sharing this wonderful news.
for those around us who are still lost in their sins. Not for our glory, Lord, but for your glory, for the fame of your name, Lord. May we be faithful this week. May we be praying more consistently and persistently for those around us who are in their sins and dying. May we be praying more and more. May your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.